So, this evening I'd like to offer some reflections on uh, the theme, the pattern, the experience of the inner critic. And um, perhaps go a little bit into what that might mean. A common experience for many of us are different manifestations of that. And... um, yeah, perhaps just some of some some ways that uh, we can uh, meet this, uh, include this in our practice, so that this uh, experience, the sense of uh, I came up with, sorry, mental habit of finding fault with oneself. <laughs> One way of putting it, um, a value-laden statement about my lack of worth as a person, that sort of area, that sort of experience. And while I think, you know, we could see this as a a hindrance, yeah, a form of aversion directed towards the self or connected with a self-view, that's one fairly simple way of seeing it. Um but it does seem to be a very very common very common pattern even with variations and uh so i thought i would try and yeah just touch on this um very yeah very grateful to other teachers who have and, and are teaching on this theme and particularly rob babea and also mark coleman who uh, actually has a book coming out quite shortly on this very theme, which uh, I'm looking forward to to reading. Um, he's he's uh, been practicing and teaching on this topic for many years, and I wanted to share with you just a little bit of the introduction to his book that's coming out in November. And uh, he 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 writes a bit about you know a sort of early early on when he first met meditation back in the 80s in London in England and it was this experience of, of, of beginning to meditate and just becoming aware of this uh, what was for him very very predominant pattern in his mind so I just read this to you and see if and it relates to anything that you know and and also I thought in this talk I felt not everybody has this as a you know as a strong pattern but i thought even if you don't and if you don't i'm very glad for you <laughs> very glad um very other stuff um but that also you know it could really help in the people that we live with that we meet friends colleagues know clients other people who who suffer with this and perhaps to just it might help us um, those of us who don't have this so much in our subjectivity in our you know in that in our minds but that to be able to understand and perhaps have a more compassionate response to people who are caught up in this kind of pattern So he he wrote in the introduction, he said, I saw how punishing I was with myself, 
I understood how cruel and savagely unforgiving I was about my own foibles and insecurities. I discovered how judgmental I was about everything I did. And whenever I tried to do anything new, I felt the unreasonable expectation to be perfect from the outset. So I don't know if that, any of that resonates. That it, it's, um, so his discovery and then I haven't, I didn't carry on reading, but obviously he's been on a real journey with this of um, making peace with your mind is the title of the book. So this this experience of the inner critic, I've been kind of reflecting this last week on what that is. So I'd like to, to share a little about um, maybe just some of the different uh, aspects of that and the dynamic of it. So again, you might recognize some of this in yourself or maybe others that you know. Uh, it doesn't, I don't think it manifests the same way, exactly the same way in, in, in us. Um, and so let's see. So when I was exploring this, I won't, I won't show you my picture. So I drew a picture. <laughs> and there's something we'll get to later at creative ways of engaging with this and exploring this. Really helpful. And what happened was I... I'd been reading and listening to talks and just kind of sort of listening really to both to my own experience and also to what I was kind of picking up from the t different teachings. So what I realized, or the way it's, it kind of got clearer for me, kind of this visit, was there are really two kind of characters here. There are two sort of kind of main would you want to call them characters but um and one is this you know I mean I'll go through some of the words I won't go through all of them but you know you get the idea punitive attacking vicious cruel I shouldn't laugh it's not funny really but <sighs> anyway <laughs> this is defense mechanism <laughs> oh <laughs> Tyrannical, the dictatorial, controlling. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, maybe that's one way of dealing with this stuff, right? You know, can get very serious and heavy. Like I drew these great big boots on this character. He's got these massive, great boots about that big, you know, and it's like belittling, humiliating, intimidating, oppress oppressive. Just woof. And and for those of us, uh, you know, who suffer with this, you know, you know how powerful this can be. It's just the, the, the amount of, of, of viciousness and, and sort of self-hatred, you know, it can be very intense. But it can also, I see it's like a continuum, isn't it? It can just be those days where it's just niggle, 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 you know, just like undermine, undermine. It's like it's more subtle, more just, you know. So, so that's the that's one character, and also he has glasses. Sorry, it's a he. Sorry, <laughs> could be a she, just you know, or a person of uncertain gender. Everybody's included here. Um, 
has really big ears, really, really big ears, very sensitive ears. So every anything can be picked up on as being, that means I'm bad, you know, or I did that wrong. And the glasses are like, you see glasses in it, they, it has written on them, wrong. Just, <laughs> right? You get that? So you're just seeing <laughs> everything wrong. Wrong, wrong, could be better, not good enough, wrong, yeah? Wow, amazing. And then there's a big mouth. I can't draw, so do, do take courage if you feel like, no, you don't have to be able to draw to, do, to enjoy this. You are a failure. You always get it wrong, you stupid and hopeless waste of space. <laughs> it's not funny, but it is funny. It's like, you'd be better off dead. Never good enough. Just try harder. Yeah? Does any of that sound familiar? So, the punitive, the, 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 the persecutor, and then there's the victim side of this. So, this, this is what, and there's this little figure I drew in the middle, it's like, kind of like this, and it kind of curled up in the face of this. And then it's like the sense of what the me or the I that is kind of, you know, receiving this and the kind of impact, the kind of effect. So just listen to some of this. It's just horrible, really. Um, drained despairing, depressed, anxious, ashamed, mm, worthless, inadequate, inferior, etc., etc. Um, compressed, so the bodily, the sort of small, collapsed, hollow, um, um, what else, a kind of restless, buzzing, got to do, that, all these different manifestations, maybe, again, for different peoples, different parts, so, different it comes in different ways the feeling of being cut off from others you know uh, uncreative no peace or contentment or here's another just uh, rebellion sort of wild behavior as a sort of attempt to to refute or kind of you know battle battle with all this and you know, it can be sporadic, it can also be very pervasive, you know, very deeply ingrained. So this is pretty unpleasant, isn't it, really? So it's really unpleasant. So maybe you recognize some of that, you know, in yourself and in your own experience, may, maybe in others. And part of part of the reflection on this was well, I'll come, come on to that a bit later, sort of where does this come from, what's the conditioning, but I'll, I'll kind of come back to that. So, there's a, there's a dynamic there. there, there's something that happens and it's different, maybe at different times, different for, for each of us. Um, and something about how we can... Um, just practice with this. How do we how do we include it in our practice? And I thought that the kind of the pith teaching maybe with this is um, it just needs love and awareness. 
nice. So it's kind of, in a way, maybe it's it's that simple. Um, I mean, there's there's other ways, but um, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I think part of the entangling or the being entangled and then trying to extricate oneself can be, you know, so there's something about simplicity. It's about just the, the, the cultivation of love and awareness and bringing that to bear on this experience. Um, whereas, you know, so easy for our efforts to investigate or understand or change it just kind of gets all caught up in that makes it kind of more just sort of tight and complicated so i wanted to share um well a couple of poems the first one which you're probably very familiar with and bear with me for repeating it but it, it felt like it was very relevant and I think for those of us with this uh, pattern that's that you know very active in us, I think this is this feels to me like one of the poems that um, is a really good kind of message or antidote for for us uh, to to point us in a, a good direction. So it's called "Wild Geese" by Mary Oliver. You do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert, repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Tell me about despair, yours, and I will tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes over the prairies and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile, the wild geese, high in the clean blue air, are heading home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination, calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting over and over announcing your place in the family of things. You do not have to be good. It's uh, such an amazing poem and there's something about that sense of, you know, it's like, it's not good enough, just not good enough, never good enough, wrong, 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 wrong. Wow. You know. So, how do we, uh, how does our practice support or help us in, in, uh, you know, with this experience, like when it's, when we're caught in it. So mindfulness, I like this, I think that I, I think I, Mark said something like this, but it made sense to me in terms of mindfulness as a mediating influence. So if you have the, I don't know if you've heard in my conflict resolution training, there's this triangle, right? Persecutor, victim, 
rescuer. And in this, in this, it's like there's the persecutor and there's the victim and then there's this mediating presence, mindfulness that kind of comes in, starts to sort of, you know, I don't know, mediation, trying to kind of create communication or make space for understanding. And it's like I can feel like bringing mindfulness into this, the naming, the knowing, the feeling, the, 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 yeah, the naming, the recognizing of this, this is the inner critic or this is the tyrannical bit, or, you know, this is the, the glasses, the glasses of wrongness, or the, you know, naming it in that way. And, f- and getting to know it, it, the sort of the feeling of it, the felt sense of it, the thoughts, the specific thoughts, the specific triggers, you know, situations. I can remember <laughs> this, uh, when, I, when I started teaching, this was much worse. It's actually got better, which I think is great with this stuff. You know, it does change, it does shift, it does get better. Um, I was teaching at Gaia House and there was a system where in a situation long-term retreat, the retreatants got to sign up with the teacher they wanted. <laughs> you didn't get to choose, we sign you up, you know. So I would have this thing where I'd make, when I began teaching and I was teaching alongside, you know, better, better teachers and more popular teachers and I would go along and I would like, I would kind of like look at the board and see, oh, I didn't get anyone. <laughs> nobody wants me, you know, I'm not, I'm hoping, I, you just, you know, it's like, you probably have these yourselves on retreat and off retreat, there's just some particular things, I work with that over a period of time, <laughs> and it, 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 it actually really did, it gradually got better, it was so painful, and I would have these all dreadful pilgrimages to see, you know, if anybody signed up, oh, I've got two, you know, they've got ten, but so <laughs> this kind of comparing and judging going on and so painful. But so somehow, sometimes I think you get these, you know, something is triggering, it's so clear and it's actually really helpful because you really see it, you really get it, you really feel it, yeah? It's kind of, if you can bear it, <laughs> if you can kind of remember this is something to, that, you know, can be processed, can be digested, can be learned from. You know, it's it's, it's very um, yeah. It's, it's a lot there. So 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 just you know, knowing our triggers, knowing you know, we might be fine. You know, inner critic is all curled up in a corner. You know, sleep, and then somebody comes in the room, and it's like you know, it kind of rears up on its hind legs. You know, it's like. You know, whatever that is, a horse or... Anyway, you have your own thing, you know, whether it's the... um, Do you get that thing ever on retreat where you you just... You you start to see somebody else as the perfect meditator and every time you see them, you think, Oh, no, I'm so bad. Just compared to that, I'm... You know, or maybe, you know, maybe you don't have that. Um, (laughs) Just what, what triggers us? You know, it's so, and, and to be able to, oh, I mean, how do you embrace something like that? I mean, and I think talking about it, you know, is always like the Buddha, wise friend and suitable conversation, you know, that 
universal antidote to all hindrances. <clears throat> Sometimes it really helps to talk about it. I know this isn't a conversation, it's a rather one-sided conversation here, and I apologize the form. We do our best. <laughs> um, but then when you, you know, you come and talking with some of you, you know, doesn't that help? And, 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 and talking with someone today and saying, you know, a lot of people have this. Oh, oh yeah, 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 I need that, I need that. But like, oh yeah, no, I feel better. Like other people. I must, no, I'm not going to ask you to put your hands up. Who does it? No, I won't do that. That's not fair. But I bet a lot of us, you know, and, and if not in ourselves, you know, in the people close to us. So the second, second really, and again, you could put the second one first. I mean, it's not really in order because I think with each of the things I'm going to mention, they're really crucial and powerful, is the metta, is the loving kindness, is kindness, 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 compassion. So I say again, metta, metta, yeah, harping on and on about that. It's absolutely crucial, I think, you know, and I, I mean, I think it's different for different people, but, you know, if you think about the way metta is taught, but specifically as an antidote to aversion and fear, so it's so, you know, this is a form of aversion, and so it's, it's, particularly important and helpful, I think, and finding out how over time, I think that's, I can, I can feel that in myself, you know, over time it's gradual change and shift in the inner climate, you know, the climate, the weathers, the climate of your mind and your heart that I can see, yeah, you know, it's like, there is less of, there is less harshness and judgment and it still happens, but it's less and it's more like the kindness has become sort of more stronger part of, of the climate of the mind. And there can be immediate shifts, can't there? You know, when you meet something difficult in yourself or, you know, just quite amazing, isn't it? How when you just a moment of, oh, you know, allowing, accepting, or oh, other people have this, or somebody just looks at you and says, yeah, I know, it's really, excuse me, um, it's really horrible. I don't swear on a Dharma talk, I try not to, but sometimes that helps. Maybe that's another creative <laughs> kind of way of expressing these things. Um, so to be able to have compassion for, you know, that which is really crooked and, and, and warped and kind of squished in the corner and crumpled and, and, and not very attractive, in fact, not very attractive at all. It doesn't that... You know, it's that's what because that's why the kindness and the friendliness is because that's the very reason this is a problem is because we've got two extremely unhappy people here or two extremely un unhappy characters. You know, it's the rampaging persecutor who's suffering like crazy and you know drooling on every you know hatred on everybody, and then there's the, the poor little you know kind of tight victim who's just so suffering and tight and everything so not not you know this this sense of of the importance of befriending and approaching with kindness and compassion is because otherwise it's just going to be more aversion and you know where that goes just go anywhere good 
more judgment, more aversion, more pushing, more, you know, it can be so subtle, can't it? It's like that whole thing of, well, I'll open to it so long as it goes away. Or, you know, it's like, so, so the kindness, I think, it goes very, it goes very deep, doesn't it? It goes very, it goes very liberation. It goes through Brahma Vihara, through opening to all experience and all beings as a door doorway to the deathless so i think it's also worth really remembering that these trouble spots these these painful knotted places are when we can genuinely you know heartfully courageously approach them with kindness and mindfulness they are the place of liberation and healing. They they are that they're not not. They are because of the way we can approach and hold them. Yeah. And probably you 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 all know that, you've seen that in your own experience. I also wanted to read a part of a poem, please forgive me, poet Galway Canal, part of a poem by Galway Canal about this this uh, approaching these aspects of our being or, which are not yet released, not yet um, really known and embraced and included. The bud stands for all things, even for those things that don't flower. For everything flowers from within, of self-blessing. Though sometimes it is necessary to reteach a thing its loveliness, to put a hand on the brow of the flower, to retell it in words and in touch, it is lovely until it flowers again from within, of self-blessing. So the third aspect of practice I'd like to touch on um, with this is the the aspect of investigation. Being able to investigate the uh, conditioning that, you know, past and present is going into feeding and sustaining this uh, conflict and this struggle, this um, aversion that's, uh, that's happening. And uh, I, I just kind of identified three areas, family, education and, and culture. And there's obviously, there's a lot more to this, but I think, you know, for me, when I was drawing this picture, I could really see my foster dad in it very clearly, and that's no surprise, and I've seen that before. And I can see him, I can see, you know, he was, yeah, I mean, an unhappy man, not just that, but very, yeah, a lot of anger, a lot of just the kind of 
persecutor bit coming out. And also, but as he, especially as he got older enough, I could really see more clearly the victim side, that the small hurt child, he was beaten by his mother when he was young. And other things, other conditions that led him to uh, be the way he was. And then what I, you know, what I... Um, absorbed from that and you know again we all have our own stories and histories with this and it just seems important to acknowledge it you know I think the certain amount of reflection in that way is helpful and there's something I don't know it's something about honoring something about respect for that not 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 belittling that experience but also not stopping there and the education I mean I think that our education system isn't it I mean it's like boy it's a powerful powerful um, promoter of you know more more better better you know it's like so if you have that in you at all the education system is just going to be you know hammering it home reinforcing all of those pathways and you know i mean obviously some good things can come out of that but um it it feels like to me like a lot of us carry that then as a kind of primary way of trying to relate to life oh dear, and I mean, carry it into our meditation practice, our relationships, and everything is somehow, you know, am I A, am I A plus, oh dear, you know, he's a bit B minus, or, you know, it's like, it's just, uh, again, I think can be so pervasive. Um, And culturally, you know, again, just, Growing up in a society where, you know, just many, many, many examples and many layers and different aspects of this where, you know, um, the the internalized oppressions, right, the internalized racism or white supremacy, the internalized... um, male supremacy or you know the internalized misogyny or the internalized you know you fill in the fill in the blank and how we can be this strange combination isn't it we're we're, we're like a nexus of social cultural forces it can feel so complex and so confusing at times and in, in, in one moment in one situation you know with a the 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 dominant with a boss with a with a oppressor in another situation you know with a with a victim with a one that's been been kind of squashed and then of course in our internal world I mean boy you know the same kind of dynamic can go on kind of at times in your meditation you just feel like you're just being flattened by all the calaces and you're just kind of in that and then other times you're striding around kind of thing I've got this all under control and I'm gonna you know so the um, sense of our conditioning being uh, you know that that it's not me mine right it's kind of what we're in 
somehow what we've absorbed as from the culture, from our family, from our education. And our practice is giving us this opportunity to see that, to feel it, to know it, to recognize it, and to, through, yeah, the, the possibility of uh, loosening its grip on our mind, loosening its kind of driving force in our behavior. So that's one area of investigation I think can be very helpful. Another area is, um, as I borrowed a bit from the teacher Byron Katie, you may be familiar with her work. So just at this point, I'm going to invite you, if you wish, to do a little reflective exercise with, with me, if you want. Um, so it just involves uh, four questions. Four qu just so I'll just sort of go through them and we'll just pause a little bit after each one. And to, to work with these questions, I invite you to identify one sort of negative judgment about yourself, if you can find one. Um, <laughs> if you can't find one, sadhi sadhi, you can, you can go home, you're all done. No, <laughs> you, could, you could take, you could um, borrow one. I'll, I'll lend you one. I am a failure. Try that. That's pretty virulent. So just maybe checking out for yourself if you want to find one or just something that can be around for you at times. It doesn't have to be as heavy as that, but, you know, just maybe it's a word or a few words or a sentence. So... Uh, you can borrow mine, feel free if you want. Uh, it's not mine, it's not yours. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so we have this statement, uh, some sort of value-laden statement about, you know, who I am in some kind of ongoing way. So here, here are the four questions. Um, is it true? Is it true? And again, you don't necessarily have to answer. Just notice what happens as you let the question kind of meet your believed thought, negative thought about yourself. Is it absolutely true? You know, is it completely true? Maybe it's a bit true. But is it completely, absolutely true all the time? Yeah. So, yeah. So the third question, what are the effects of holding that belief? You know, why does that feel? when it's you know when it's triggered what kind of what happens to the body to the heart or to the behavior even it's like can you what happens when that's act active active 
What is it? What is it doing in your life? And the last question. What would life be like without that? What would like well what would it be like to not to not believe that? Or what is what is it like when that's not operating, it's not active, it's not happening? So very brief exercise and you could come back to it if, if you're interested and spend longer with it. But I don't know about you, but I find just even doing the, something like that very briefly, it seems to start to deconstruct. Yeah. Or, oh, just by looking, because I think some of these things, these beliefs are operating in the shadows, right? So we're not really seeing or understanding or kind of looking at them or really acknowledging them. And so they kind of, you know, they kind of just doing their thing. But somehow to turn and look directly like this at the cognitive, cognitive aspect of that, the thought, it is something very, oh, it just starts to, it kind of, to me, there's a quality that just, or, or, or already it's disempowered somewhat. It's kind of, oh, I can't quite, doesn't seem to have quite the same power. So one other, just in this area of, of investigation, is something I've, I've, I've found very helpful, is, is kind of playing around with, and it's kind of connected with that exercise, kind of throwing in a counter view. You're fine. I'm fine. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with you. Oh, the sky is blue. There's nothing wrong with me. Seeing, hearing. Yeah? I mean, what I guess I'm trying to point to is to me there's a quality of not another assertion of, yeah, I'm fine. I am fine. You better not argue with me about that. <laughs> It's more like when when the when the inner oppressor or the when the inner critic is not happening, it's more like, Oh, I'm all right, actually. Yeah, you're all right. You're okay. You don't need to there's nothing you don't need to fix anything. It's okay. You're fine. So just you know, one one that came to me recently was because I, for me, part of this is the feeling of not being allowed to exist, and it's like, oh, I'm allowed to be here. Oh, oh yeah, actually, I am. Yeah, it's like, do you see? It has that quality of of like a truth or an insight. It's the way things are. I'm actually allowed to be here. Oh. So it's not a construction of something else. 
And one is very radical for, uh, you know, the inner tyrant. You are allowed to enjoy life. <laughs> no. <laughs> no way, no how. <laughs> it's like, enjoy. No. And that was very much my foster father. It was like, you know, don't you dare enjoy anything. You were like, thwack. Because it, you know, part of his pain, I think, about feeling, finding life so horrible. Don't want anybody else to enjoy themselves because that's just, you know, do you get that? It's like that just made him feel worse. So, one other thing, I, I was warned, one of you kindly warned me not to try and say everything about this. <laughs> so, I'll try and honor that. <laughs> but one more area to touch on of practice. And we're kind of already touching on it. It's this use of the imagination. I really, I think that in this kind of area with the hindrances, the demons in our life, in our minds, it's so helpful. You know, drawing, even if you can't draw, and writing, singing it, dancing it. You know, I, I think there's a real, perhaps not in the Dharma Hall, please, but, you know, in the woods, maybe. If you're feeling brave and no one else is around, yeah. But even you know, outside of retreat, may not be appropriate here. Once I was on a, I was in a wonderful art studio with a wonderful art teacher, hugely influential, I think, uh, quite a few years ago now. Don't know how many, a lot, a lot. Uh, but she was a brilliant teacher and. The first art class I did with us, the first thing she had us all do was make uh, a judge out of clay. So she she just got us all to kind of like think of this inner critic, this judge thing. And then we had this lump of clay and we just kind of got to make this little figure, you know, and make a judge. So we all did that. And then I can remember I just put it on the shelf, you know, I just put it up there. She's just, you know, do what you want with it, bury it, you know, carry it home, put it on the shelf. And then she, what she, she it was like this invitation to, okay, that's there, leave it there, leave it there. And then this, she kept inviting us to just play and play and feel this creative space and no judgment, no heavy duty, well, that's not very good and you can't do that and... It worked, it worked, it created this amazing space. Well, not just that, other things. So maybe sometime you could, if you get some clay, you could make, make a judge and put it on a shelf. <laughs> so many, many create, sort of creativity we can bring to this. And I'm sure, I'm sure Mark would pre touch that in his book. Also Rob Babea is very good on this if you want to check his teachings out on this area and on Dharma Seed. So, um, yeah, more could be said. I think that probably the, the way I want to kind of draw this to a close is just kind of in a way to invite us to, to settle again and kind of having listened to all that and felt whatever you felt about all that. Just yeah, maybe a bit of an bit of an out breath and settling and yeah, feel free, make yourself comfortable, shift your posture or just stay where you are, whatever is fine. Feeling like you're really allowed to be here, just as you are. 
you know, fully, fully welcome. And in this moment, you know, just appreciating being together. And there's the simplicity of hearing and sensing and just however your heart is right now. Just experience being known and the simplicity of that and how so much healing and liberation is really just this simple uh, coming back, coming back. You know, we have our tools, we have our investigations, we have our creativities and we also have our simplicity. So it's such an important part of this. Um, and just what's here for us in, in the immediacy, sense of space, ease, so much of really what we want is already here. It's to be turned to, to be noticed in its quietness, you know, already okay, you're fine, you're fine. So I'd like to close these reflections uh, sharing a passage from Ajahn Suchito in his book, Rude Awakenings, which was an account of an extraordinary pilgrimage he made with a friend walking through uh, India, following the places the Buddha lived and died. So he says, Dharma practice often entails confronting the unpalatable until one's reactions have cooled. Then, by holding the attention steady, it becomes clear that things are actually only the way things appear, an appearance compounded by reactions and assumptions, reinforced by the resistance to change and letting go. But observation alone is not enough when the mind's eye is clouded. Heart-centered action is needed. So practice becomes a moving thing, a pilgrimage. Keep going, says the Buddha. Hold steady. Relax the will to be. And you will arrive at a place of peace. An island which you cannot go beyond, a place of non-possession and non-attachment. I call it Nibbana. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.